Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what he has to say to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Coastal tonight. So glad that each and every one of you made it out and decided to swim through the humidity to church here tonight. Thank you for braving that for us. My name is James, and I'm part of the team here, and we are in our series through the book of James. So welcome to James on James. (laughs) I've been waiting for a month to make that joke. (laughs) And this week, week four in our study through the book of James, we are in the second half of chapter two, and I have the unique honor and privilege tonight of graduating from this stage over here to this stage up here, Woo, come on, somebody. (laughs) I have the unique honor and privilege of bringing this word to you because no one else wanted to do it. (laughs) Because even though this passage bears my namesake, it is a tricky word here tonight. This is a tricky passage. If you thought Alex didn't pull any punches last week, get ready, because James is ready to smack us both sides of the face tonight. (laughs) I'll stay over here, don't worry. (laughs) This part of chapter two is likely one of the reasons that Martin Luther, the great reformer who birthed the Protestant church, it's likely one of the reasons that he didn't want the book of James to be canonized into the scripture. He didn't want this book to be in our scripture tonight because of how tense and backwards this message feels to us. And so if you're feeling that tension as we read through this tonight, some of you are going to love the passage we're going to read tonight. Probably more of you are going to hate it because it, go, it seems to, at surface level, go against the message that we've been pro- proclaiming this whole time. It seems to go against the idea of being saved by faith it kind of challenges our idea of what true faith in Jesus is. But before we start picking sides of whether we like James's letters or Paul's letters, whether we, before we start choosing sides in a debate, we need to remember and recognize, as Brett pointed out for us earlier, that God wants to speak to us here tonight. It's not about whether or not we like this passage of scripture. We preach the Bible here at Coastal. We love the Bible here at Coastal. I love the Bible, not because it's a great book, and it is a great book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. It's a great time. Some crazy stuff happens. A guy talks, God talks through a donkey at one point. No joke. Read the Old Testament. But it's more than just a good read. We preach the Bible here at Coastal because we believe that the God of the universe, even 2,000 years after this book was written, still speaks to us through it. Amen? God has something that he wants to say to us tonight, and it's bigger than our preferences of whether or not we like that this is in Scripture. He has something that he wants to teach us. He wants to challenge us with something. This is tough stuff tonight, but I know you guys, and you guys can handle it. Are we ready? Let's go. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. You can pull out your phone and follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, or you can look on the screen there. The lovely guys in the tech booth have that up for you. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? You idiot. That faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and his faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Yikes. <laughs> Oof. Man, oh man. That's something else, eh? He's not pulling any punches. But before we go any further, before we uh, dive more deeply into this passage, I think this passage highlights really well something that we need to take and remember about how we read the Bible. There's a lesson here for us, not just about what James is saying here in this chapter, but about how we read Scripture as a whole. Because you see, in our Christian culture, in our Christian faith, we're really good at the whole idea of memory verses. I grew up in Sunday school, going to kids club, getting points for all my memory verses. And it's good to memorize scripture. It's important to memorize the Bible, to hide God's word away in our hearts. But if we stop there, if we stop with one-off one-liners that make us feel good from scripture and that we can kind of twist however we want and use them in situations that they don't belong in, it gets dangerous. Context is everything when it comes to scripture. And if, if we're left with just a memory verse, one-liner faith, then when we come across passages like this, we start to run into trouble. We start to have issues because, do you remember this time last year, what book of the Bible were we working through? What were we working through last summer? Do you remember what book that was? Romans. Good job. Some of you were here for that. As we work through the book of Romans, if you remember... In verse 3 and verse 20, chapter 3, verse 28, there we go. Paul wrote, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That holds up. That's the message we preach. You know, you're saved by faith in Christ and faith alone. Okay, yep, that, that sounds good. Heard that one before. But then we come across this one. In James chapter 2, verse 24, that we just read, which says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
Now, I might not have a Bible college degree, but it looks to me like those two sentences are saying different things, does it not? How do those things go together? Is the Bible contradicting itself? If the Bible is the word of God, does God contradict himself? We believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and what he says is true. So somehow, we have to reconcile these two ideas of faith together. Somehow, if we believe that this is the word of God, and that God wants to speak to us through this, and that this is truth, then we have to be able to reconcile these two ideas together. Now, if you're feeling the tension tonight, that is a good thing. Because what we need to learn about reading scripture and reconciling things that seem irreconcilable is that oftentimes contrast brings clarity. Put it to you this way. Have you heard the proverb before that iron sharpens iron? Heard that before? That's talking about how we as brothers and sisters, as we challenge each other, as we clash with, with each other, just like iron sharpens iron as it clashes against each other, that's actually a good thing. It makes the iron useful, sharper, more pointed, helps it cut through. And so in the same way, as we take these two ideas from Scripture, as there's tension, as they clash with each other, that's actually a good thing. That actually helps refine and bring clarity, get right to the point. What is happening here is that our idea of faith is being refined. So when you feel the tension, when you feel that those two ideas don't line up with each other, there's actually a truer, more pure, more refined truth that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to tonight. So if you're feeling that tension, God probably wants to refine your idea of what faith is. We need to approach Scripture with humility. Too often we take things out of context, and then when we run across verses like that, when we run across tensions like that, we don't know what to do. We get scared. We question our faith. But we need to approach Scripture with humility, not reading what we want into it, but actually allowing God to speak to us out of it with all of the mystery and the tension that comes along with that. There's a deeper, more pure idea of faith that James wants to lead us to because contrast brings clarity. He's refining our definition of faith. And this is a word that he's giving, we learn in chapter one, not to non-Christians, but actually to Christians. He's, it's a discipling word and a disciplining word, not an evangelistic word. He's trying to help those of us who have faith to have a stronger, more pure, more accurate idea of what faith and following Jesus actually means. But the good news has not changed. Don't worry. We're not preaching a new gospel here tonight. The gospel has not changed. It is still the same. We are still saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We still believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God himself come down in human flesh to walk among us, to teach us what it means to be human, to be betrayed, to suffer, and to die in our place for all of our past and the sins that we commit. And he rose again on the third day. He did not stay dead, but by the power of God in the Holy Spirit, he rose again from the dead 
defeating sin and defeating death so that you and I can have a seat at the table. You and I can have a place in the kingdom of God that the invitation is open to anyone who would accept it, that you can be part of God's family. You can be part of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. That message is still the same, my friends. Amen? Amen. Amen. And if you're a skeptic here tonight and you're not sure what to make of all this faith stuff, if you're, fe- if you're also feeling that tension, there is good news for you here tonight that as you lean into the tension, as you lean into the questions, don't let it scare you off. You are in the right place here tonight. God has this great way of showing up when we seek after him. And I firmly believe here tonight that if you seek after the truth, if you wrestle through, that you will find the truth, that God will meet you in the middle, right where you're at. So James is engaging us in a debate. And this is a a writing style that was quite common in Greek culture at that time as well through rhetorical persuasion, but it's also a writing style we find in the book of Romans and other of Paul's letters. It's called anticipating the argument. James is making his argument about faith and works stronger by anticipating the opposite position, anticipating what someone who wasn't super sure about what he was saying would come up with him and argue against him. He's anticipating those arguments and rebuttaling them in order to make his own argument stronger. And whether that debate was actually a verbal debate that he had with another person isn't important because what he's doing here is correcting a misconception, a wrong idea about faith that was held in the church at the time. And that's important for us here today because I think often in our churches and in our church specifically that we can have the same misconception of what faith and following Jesus actually means. He's setting up a debate, a tension between faith and works. And the first thing that we need to know as we engage in this debate that God wants to say to us through this letter of James tonight is that Jesus' followers do not and cannot have belief only. Faith alone, belief belief alone is not enough. It's not good enough. Real faith cannot just be only in your mind. It can't just be something you believe in your heart to be true. It has to show up in how you live your life. You have to live as if it's true, not just think that it's true. We have to live as if it's true. And James shows us this by making a really startling statement about demons. You see, oftentimes we can think that knowing God exists, that God is real, that God's a thing, (laughs) is enough. I can think back to when I was in junior high, I grew up in a Christian family, and when I was in junior high, I was only allowed to listen to Christian music. So, as a a budding musician who wanted to explore all the musical possibilities out there, I would try and broaden that definition of what Christian music could be. Oh, mom, this this song says God in it. (laughs) These guys believe in God. James, they're Mormon. It doesn't, they believe in God. They they believe in God. It doesn't matter that they're, you know, singing about all these horrible secular things. They, they, they say God in the song. Isn't that enough? I'm joking, but oftentimes we can think that 
just acknowledging the existence of God is the same thing as being a Christian. We can often have the misconception that just believing in Jesus is the same thing as following him. But James shows us really quickly that that is not the case because he gives the example of the demons. The demons know that God is real. If you read the New Testament, Jesus had conversations. He had encounters with demons. They saw him. They know he exists. They know he's real. They know he's powerful. They know all of those things. But are the demons following Jesus? No, (laughs) they're not. Because their allegiance is not with Jesus. They haven't surrendered to Jesus. Their allegiance is to Satan and to the, the prince of the power of the air. It is not enough to merely know that God exists, to believe that Jesus is real. You have to actually put your trust in him. You have to actually believe that he is who he said he is, that he'll do what he said he'll do, and allow him to transform your life with that truth. We have to give our allegiance to him as Lord and Savior, the king of our lives. It is not merely enough to know that Jesus is real. We have to give our allegiance to him. Because if it's all about belief and has nothing to do with our actions, then that actually gives us the space that what we say and what we do, what we think and what we do, can be two different things. There's space for hypocrisy. And we all know that hypocrisy has done nothing good for the reputation of the church and the reputation of God in our culture, right? Hypocrisy has done so much to tarnish the name of Jesus in our age. But thankfully, in the book of James, there is no space for hypocrisy. What our walk and our talk have to line up. There is no space for hypocrisy, If I follow Jesus, or if I claim to follow Jesus, but then don't actually do any of the things that Jesus demands of me, that's the same thing as me all of a sudden one day going, yeah, I'm a lobster fisherman. I'm a lobster fisherman, right? Yeah. I've never been on a fishing boat. I've never caught a lobster. I know the stern exists. I don't know where it is, though. I'm a lobster fisherman. Is that going to work for me? Should I be waiting for a paycheck? (laughs) Should I ask Felton for a paycheck? He'd probably still give me one. (laughs) It ain't going to cut it. Because if I believe that to be true, but do nothing about it, if I don't live it out, do I really believe that it's true? If I really believe that I'm a lobster fisherman, but don't go and hop on a crew and do the work, do I really believe that I'm a lobster fisherman? If I do, I'm lying to myself. I think a lot of us have been calling ourselves lobster fishermen, but we're not willing to pick up our pots and follow our captain. I think there's a lot of us who have been calling ourselves Christians, but we're not willing to pick up our cross and follow our Savior. The opposite is just as dangerous, though. The inverse of the equation is just as damaging because Jesus' followers cannot have works only either. 
We are not preaching a works-based faith here tonight. James isn't writing about it, and this James isn't saying it. We are not about a works-based faith in this place tonight because you cannot earn your spot in the kingdom. You cannot earn your spot in the kingdom. And I have to remind myself of that because that's often the side of the pendulum that I like to swing towards. It's, it's really tempting to be that prodigal son who, after acknowledging that he's messed up, walks that prodigal road back to the father, but doesn't want to be treated as a son, but wants to be treated as a servant and wants to try and pay off this impayable debt. It can be tempting to want to earn your place in the kingdom, to prove to God that I was worth saving. You didn't make a mistake in adopting me as your son. I'll prove it to you. I can pay off my debt. The problem with that, though, is that doing those works without faith is actually not believing that Jesus was enough, that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. It's actually spitting in the face of what Jesus did because Jesus paid it all. He took everything on himself, and when he said it was finished, it was finished. So when I try and pay my debt myself, when I try and justify myself, when I try and make myself righteous and become self-righteous, I'm spitting in the face of what Jesus did for me. I cannot pay my own debt. There's no way for me to pay my own debt. And praise the Lord that I don't have to. Amen. Amen. The other reason that we don't believe in a works-based faith is that if you have good works without faith, you can actually do all of the right things, say all of the right things, do good things, but it's still sin. If you remember back to the book of Romans, Paul writes to us that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith, whatever does, if faith is not our motivation for what, our, what we do, then it is sin. Jesus teaches us the same thing in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus cares so, so much about our motivation and about our relationship with him. He wants to be the reason for why we do what we do. He wants to be the motivation, the driving force behind the good works that he's prepared for us to do. And not only that, he wants to be with us while we do them. He cares about the relationship with us. He doesn't send us off to do it on our own. He is, wants to be with us every step of the way. He cares about our motivation and he cares about our relationship because we are not employees of the kingdom of heaven. We are sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. And yes, being a son or a daughter often means that we do the work of the Father, but we don't do it out of obligation. We do it for the pure delight of being with him and the delight of doing what he asks us to do. That's what it means to be a son and a daughter. So, if that's the case, if followers of Jesus 
can't just only be about faith and can't just only be about good works, what are we doing? Jesus' followers are called to be holistic. Jesus wants to change every part of our life. And there are so many people in this room tonight who are a testimony of the fact that Jesus transforms our entire life. Amen? Amen. There are so many examples here in this place that you are different today than you were before Jesus because Jesus not only changes your mind, he doesn't just want to change what you think about him, but he wants to change the entirety of how you live your life. He calls us to an abundant life, and that doesn't just happen in our mind. That happens in the way we live. That happens in the way we do money and relationships and our job, all of it. He wants all of it, mind, body, and soul. Jesus wants to be with you in every aspect of your life because he loves you and he has something better for you. It's a holistic experience. We can't just have faith and we can't just have works. Our faith has to execute itself through our works. It has to show up. It has to be evidence of the things that we believe. We become living, walking, breathing testimonies of what God has done for us. But what does that actually mean practically? How does that actually break down for us here tonight? What does that actually look like? I know I have a part to play. I know God has a part to play. But where do we draw the lines here? Well, folks, I'm sorry that for the last couple of weeks we've had math analogies here at Coastal. There's been way too much math in these sermons. But I've got an equation for you. It was in AJ's notes, and it's really good, so bear with me. There's no numbers in it. We'll be okay. Faith equals our will, which includes our affections and our disciplines, plus the power of the Holy Spirit, which little arrow, it's like from chemistry, results in good works. Faith is our will, which includes our affections and our disciplines, plus the presence of the Holy Spirit, which results in good works. So what's my part to play and what's God's part to play? Well, our part to play is the first part of the equation. Our will, our affections, and our disciplines. We're responsible for our will. We're responsible for what we desire to do. We're responsible to desire Jesus more and more. We're responsible to, for the choices that we make to choose to follow Jesus, which also carries over into our affections. It's our responsibility to, do, to cut out the things in our life that, t- that try and steal our affections away from Jesus and put them on other things. To, to cut out the things in our life that take our attention away from our God and our King and actually lean into to spend our time often through disciplines, these ancient practices that, we've, that followers of Jesus have been implementing over th- thousands of years now, that we actually cause ourselves by practicing those things to make our desire for Jesus, our affection for Jesus, our love for Jesus grow more and more. It's our responsibility to put those practices into place, to shut out the world, and to fix our eyes on him. Because there is no more beautiful name than the name of Jesus. Amen? And this is the cool part. This is God's part. We get so messed up sometimes because often we just leave it there. We just leave it with our part to play. 
but God has a part to play. If we take the Holy Spirit part out of the equation, it doesn't work. It doesn't add up. The math doesn't track. We need the Holy Spirit. It is all in and through him. We have a part to play. We have, God is not opposed to effort, but the Holy Spirit, this, this is the good stuff, guys. Okay, here we go. So what is God's part? Producing fruit, imparting gifts, and giving promptings. Like I said, I grew up in Sunday school, grew up in a Christian family, and if you also did, you might know the song about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody? Okay, we got, we got three in the front. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Mom, for that one. Fruits of the Spirit. They, these are character attributes of God. And when the... This is so cool. So, God not only came as a person, Jesus, but Jesus said that it's better if he should go because the Comforter would come. And the Comforter is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't just a person who stands beside us. He's a spirit that comes and empowers us from the inside. God himself wants to come and live within us. And when he does that, he gives us his character attributes. He gives us fruit of the Spirit. He gives us characteristics that we can't have on our own. He gives us joy and love and goodness and faithfulness. These are things that we can't conjure up ourselves. The Holy Spirit gives them to us. And not only does he give us these characteristics, he also gives gifts. He gives us special abilities. You see these in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. These are special gifts that are different for each of us that the Holy Spirit gives us for our specific context to do the things that God has prepared for us in advance to do. He sets us up for success, friends. He sets us up well. He gives us the characteristics we need, but also the ability, the power, the gifting to carry those things through. He's not abandoned us as orphans. He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. And not only that, he doesn't stop there. But wait, there's more. <laughs> he gives us promptings in the moment. The Holy Spirit whispers into our ear, hey, you should go talk to that person. Hey, what if you change these things about your finances so that you could actually help this person out? Hey, when, you, when you're doing that, you're actually harming somebody. Why don't we change that? He gives us promptings in the moment. He gives us specific instructions for specific times and specific places with, oh my goodness, specific people. He gives us instructions. He tells us what to do. If we listen to him, he whispers promptings to us. He gives us the fruit, the characteristics that we need. He gives us the giftings, the abilities that we need. And he gives us promptings in the moment for the good works that he has for us to do. Man, oh man, that's good. This holistic faith idea is not unique to the book of James. This permeates throughout all of the New Testament. It's, it's there in Ephesians where, you know, often we just talk about the for grace you have been saved part through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But later on in that chapter, he says that God has given us good works that he's prepared for us in advance to, to do. He has saved us not by our works, but for good works. 
So it's in Paul as well, and more importantly, it's in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about what's inside here has to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is inside of us, the things that we believe deep in our heart of hearts are going to show up in how we talk and how we live our life. We know that to be true, amen? This is not an idea unique to the book of James. This teaching is throughout the New Testament. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up at this time. So, if this is true, that our faith and our works are tied together, they're one and the same, we can't have faith that's just belief, it shows up in our works, what do you believe? What do you believe? I can tell you how you know what you believe, look at how you live your life. That's the evidence, that's the testimony of what you believe. So, what do you believe? Is what you say you believe the same thing as what you show you believe? Does your walk match your talk? What do you believe? If you love Jesus here tonight, does that show up in how you live your life? Or are you just giving him lip service? Are you like the person that James talks about in the, the beginning of this section who come, is walking down the street on a cold winter's day and runs across a family member who's shivering and starving and fading away to nothing, begging for food, and he walks up to that family member and says, oh man, I'm praying for you. I really hope you get something to eat. I really hope you have a place to stay tonight. And then walks off to a warm house with a warm meal, with an extra bed, and does nothing to meet their practical need. Says, I care about you, I'm praying for you, but then does nothing about it. Does that person really care about the poor? No, they don't. At least that's not what their actions show. There's not evidence to back it up. Their belief isn't working its way through to faith. They're deceiving themselves. I can call myself a lobster fisherman all I want. But if I don't answer the captain when he calls and show up at the wharf, what good is that? Will you be available when Jesus calls you here tonight? Let's stand and worship. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.